Good morning. As we continue to worship God through hearing His Word, please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. We drive up, that's my wife and I, drive up to Coppell, Texas quite often. That's just a few miles northwest of Dallas. Grandkids are the attraction. So in order to get there, we go up on 45, that most scenic route that we are all familiar with. When we get into Dallas, then we take 30 west. That's a short, short distance on 30 west. And then you've got to take that exit going north on 35 east. And that's the way we go to Coppell. Now, right at that interchange between 30 and 35 north, I often get confused. I don't know why, but I just seem to get confused at that exit. There's a little bit of construction going on and such. Now, I am dependent on Google Maps. And over the years, I've really lost my sense of direction. You know, back in the day, before you guys were born, we used to use AAA triptych, triptych, you know. And I knew exactly where we were going because there was a sense of direction. But now, the lady behind Google Maps tells me where to go, and I just follow directions. Now, that is a problem when the voice is kind of confused. So, when we come to that interchange, uh, Google Maps also seem to lose direction. It tells you, take a right, and I take a right, and then it says recalculating or rerouting. And it's difficult, you just have a short distance to make that move. So I've gotten confused over time. Now, my wife, who's in the passenger seat, uh, recognizes this, so she's begun to um, help me, giving me directions. So, as we go, I have Google Maps telling me something, and I have my wife telling me something. So sometimes they're not quite the same. Now, the question then becomes, who do I listen to? Now, if you want some entertainment, watch two women trying to give one man directions on the road. That's pretty entertaining. But depending on the voice I listen to, uh, I could be, uh, my destinations could be different. And it's no different in life, isn't it? When it comes to life, let's say you have to make a decision, you want some counsel, and you talk to a lot of friends, perhaps your pastor, etc. One says, you quit your job. Another says, no, be patient, stay there and grow. Which voice will you heed? Which voice will you pay attention to? Now, the voice you pay attention to, the voice you listen to, the voice you heed, can take you down different paths to different destinations. What if you hear God's voice? And what if God's voice seem to agree with good old-fashioned, plain common sense? What will you do when you hear God's voice? Today we're going to look at one account where a king hears God's voice, asking him to do something very specific. You think that the response should be a no-brainer, isn't it? Not quite, so let's find out. We are in our series, Prophets and Kings, and today we are in 1 Samuel chapter 15. There is an encounter that we're going to see with Samuel, the prophet, and Saul, the king. We'll be in 1 Samuel 15. And as God's word reminds us, as we read in Romans 15, whatever was written in earlier times 
was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement from the scriptures, we might have hope. So this first Samuel chapter 15 is also written for our instruction, so that as we persevere and endure with the encouragement of the scriptures, we will have hope. So let's dig in. Verse 1. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Now literally it says, listen to the voice of the words of the Lord. Now that is kind of strange. Uh, why does he say listen to the voice of the words of the Lord? What is it about the voice that makes it any different from some plain old-fashioned words? Well, it is one thing for us to hear what is written or read what is written. It's another thing to hear a voice speak that. So, for example, if I were to type out an email and said, you know I love coffee. Well, you can understand the meaning of those words and you can draw your own conclusions. But if I were to speak to you and say, you know I love coffee. You know I love coffee. You know I love coffee. It communicates completely different uh, meaning. So you get my intention if you listen to my voice versus just listening to some words. So voice communicates intent unmistakably, very specifically, and very clear. So listen to the voice of the words of the Lord. And the play with the voice we'll also find in one of the later verses, and that's very interesting. So listen to the voice. The voice is calling for a response because if somebody were to speak to us, we have two options. Either we're going to pay attention or we disregard. So this voice is speaking, calls for a response. God himself is speaking. So what is he saying? Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up in Egypt. So, God is going to punish Amalek for the way they treated Israel. In fact, in verse 18 says, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. So, if you look back in earlier chapters in Exodus and Deuteronomy 25, we see what Amalek did to the children of Israel. They were pretty cruel. As they were coming out of Egypt, you remember the account where when Moses raised his hands, Israel won. When he dropped his hands, Amalek won. This went on. Now, Amalek was pretty cruel in that they came from the rear and attacked all those who were faint and weary, the stragglers of the group, if you will. And they were particularly wicked, and God said, I will blot your name off the face of the earth. Blot out the name of Amalek from heaven. Verse 3. So this is the instruction. Now go and strike Amalek, and utterly destroy all that he has. Utterly destroy, completely, totally, fully, destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. All humans, all sizes, children, inf infants, men, women, all genders, all animals, Productive animals, sheep, oxen, and animals used for transport, camels, donkeys, everything. The entire uh, living being system over there, destroy, he says, 
God was going to blot their name out as he had said before. Their time had now come after so many years to fulfill what God had said. So, what does Samuel do? In verses 4 through 7, we see what he did. He summoned and numbered them, numbered all the people. He had 210,000 people. He went and he defeated the Amalekites. So far, so good, right? God told him to go. He went after the Amalekites. Verse 8. He captured Agag, the king of Amalekites, alive. Ah, okay. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Okay, so this is a little different. He did some utter destruction, but not all. He captured Agag the king. Perhaps he was the best of the Lord. Then he utterly destroyed everything that was despised, that was worthless. The stuff that was really good, the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, all that was good, he did not destroy. And the text says he was not willing to destroy them utterly. Saul was not willing to do what God had asked him to do. No willing obedience when it comes to Saul. Saul was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites and every living being there. Saul destroys everything that was worthless, everything that was not good, and spared everything, everything that was very good and was worth something in his own eyes. He decided what should be destroyed and what should be spared, whereas God had told him what exactly to do. In a sense that maybe it was reasonable. Why destroy everything? If there is some good stuff, why destroy? If nothing, we could use this to sacrifice to our Lord. After all, God is delighted in our sacrifices, isn't it? He may have thought that way. Saul obeyed partially. So now what's going to, God going to do? Is he going to punish him? Or is he going to give him partial credit for partial obedience? What exactly is he going to do? Let's find out. Verse 10 and 11. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. God says, Saul has not carried out my commands. To follow God, it says, he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. So following God means following God's commands or carrying out God's commands. So to follow Jesus would mean we carry out whatever Jesus asked us to do. So carrying out his commands and following are synonymous. And God says he has turned back from following me and has not carried out his commandments. And Samuel was distressed. He was kind of angry and deeply disturbed and cried out to the Lord all night. Verse 12. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, 
That's like saying Saul came to Carmel and listen, listen to what he did. He set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. So Samuel goes to see Saul and they say Saul set up a monument for himself and then proceeded to Gilgal. Gilgal is where they offered sacrifices. So the first thing he does after partial obedience, which is disobedience, the first thing he does is to set up a monument for himself. Remember me, me first and then God. He had turned back from following God. Verse 13 and 14, Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. That's what Saul says. But Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? I have carried out the commands of the Lord. That's what Saul says. And literally translated, here's how verse 14 would read. What then is this voice of the sheep in my ears and the voice of the oxen which I hear? The voice. Both of them heard the voice of the words of the Lord. And Samuel did something. But Sa I'm sorry, Saul did something. And then Samuel comes and says, Ooh, we both heard this voice, but now I hear the voice of the sheep and the voice of the oxen. Now that would, that would, that would get their attention, wouldn't it? So, why am I hearing the voice of the sheep and the voice of the oxen? Obviously, you have really not heard the voice of the Lord. Or, you have heard the voice of the Lord, but chosen not to follow him. Verse 15, Samuel kind of says, They have brought them from the Amalekites, talking about the sheep and the oxen, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. They have brought them. It is the they that's the problem, whereas in verse 9 we read, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. Now Saul says in verse 15, the people spared the best of the sheep. Just passing the blame on. And after all, they wanted to sacrifice it to the Lord. Won't, won't the Lord be pleased or delighted with these sacrifices? What's the problem? So, uh, verses 16 through 19, Samuel then highlights the problem. He says, let me tell you what God told me last night. He said to Saul, told Samuel, all right, tell me. Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anoint you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You were a nobody. The Lord picked you up from nowhere. The Lord anointed you king. And the Lord gave you a specific mission to go accomplish. The one who made you king, you nobody, the one who made you king asked you to do something. And what he asked you to do was extremely clear. Why did you not obey? 
instead of doing what he asked you to do, you did what you thought was best. You took all the good stuff and destroyed all the worthless stuff. And you know how God sees it? It's described as evil. Did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So now what does Saul have to say? How did he respond? Verses 20 and 21. Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag the king of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. So he said, I did. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choices of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So Saul has been confronted because Samuel is hearing the voice of sheep and oxen. And Saul, no indication of repentance. All he's trying to do is justify what he did. I did obey the voice of the Lord, but the people took some of the stuff. And look, they were devoted to destruction. They should have been destroyed. They took them to sacrifice it to the Lord your God. And then in verses 22 and 23, Samuel tells him and gives a picture of how God views obedience and disobedience. A beautiful picture, very familiar scripture to us. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. The Lord does delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, but not as much as obeying the voice of the Lord. Obeying is better than sacrifice, and to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. Why is that? That's what we read in verse 23. For, because rebellion as, is as a sin of witchcraft or divination. Saul did not do what God asked him to do. But he did what he wanted to do. And that's rebellion. This disobedience and partial obedience is in the same category, says Samuel, as witchcraft and insubordination. Another word could be stubbornness, a lack of submission. They're all in the same category, is wickedness and idolatry to God. A lack of submission to God, a lack of willing obedience to what God is asking him to do, is as good as wickedness and idolatry, is what Samuel tells Saul and the scriptures tell us. Now, when we hear the words obedience and submission, uh, it's, it's rather harsh and difficult, isn't it? What comes to mind? Typically, if somebody talks about obedience, what comes to mind is kicking and screaming obedience. Why should I have to obey anybody? Why should I have to submit to anybody? I mean, these are not words that we love to use. In fact, if possible, we try to keep away from it other than if we're trying to discipline our children, you know. Uh, other than that, we don't like these words. 
Why do I have to obey anybody? Why do I have to submit to anybody? Obedience and submission is hard when it is not what we like and not what we want to do. That's where the rubber meets the road, or that's where there is friction, right? If there is something that I don't like, something that I don't want to do, obedience and submission becomes hard. It's like the dad was having a discussion with his disobedient son. He said, son, sit down. And the son says, I don't want to sit down. Dad firmed up his voice and said, son, I said, sit down. He sits down and says, all right, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> this is the kind of obedience we tend to follow, right? A kicking and screaming, all right, I'll conform, but it's not a willing obedience. But that's not the obedience God is seeking from us. That is not the obedience God is seeking from us. In fact, all through the Bible, you find that God seeks an obedience that flows out of faith. And obedience says, God, I trust you. I believe what you say. Even if it doesn't totally make sense to me, I'm going to follow that. That is the willing obedience that God seeks. If you look at all of the heroes in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, they all just trusted God and did what God asked them to do. That's why they're heroes of the faith. So willing obedience, voluntary willing obedience is what God seeks from us. That, he says, delights him a whole lot more than anything else that we can do. Than anything else we can do. His first priority is our willing and voluntary obedience. That is what God is really after from us. You know, God takes this really seriously, brothers and sisters. God delights in our obedience more than anything else we do for Him. We might do a lot of good things, and because we love God, and God is pleased with that. It's not that God is not pleased. All He's saying is, He delights in our obedience, our willing obedience, more than He delights in anything else that we can do. Selective obedience is just convenience. It's really not obedience. Although obedience, even kicking and screaming, can protect us. It's like um, a policeman was once parked on the street and he saw this little boy riding his tricycle fast and furious around the block. So he stepped out of his car and said, what are you trying to do? He said, I'm running away from home. Wow. Why are, you driving, why are you riding round and round the block? Because mom told me not to cross the street. You see, sometimes even that kind of obedience might have a protective, uh, protective nature to it. It might protect us from trouble. However, what God clearly is after, what delights God is our willing, submissive obedience regardless of the cost. God is pleased with a willing obedience. He's delighted by a willing obedience. He is not pleased with disobedience. So because Saul uh, did not obey him, he also has rejected, the last part of verse 23, he also has rejected you from being king. Saul, in verse 24 and 25, you see now Saul repents. After the serious consequences, he says he repents. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. 
He did not say that earlier on. He was trying to justify. Now, he says, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. He deliberately went against God's commands because he feared the people more than he feared God. He feared the people who he could see more than he feared God who he couldn't see. And he says, Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. 26, uh, Samuel says, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Serious consequences for partial obedience. And then you find in verse 30, uh, I have sinned, Saul says again, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord. He pleads for Samuel to honor him and go with him. And in verse 31 we see, so Samuel went back following Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. So he repents, but the consequences he still faces because God takes it seriously. So God is painting for us two different worlds that we can choose to inhabit, two different worlds. One is a world where God's anointed king hears God's unmistakable voice and decides not to follow him. God's anointed king, God speaks to him, he decides he's not going to follow him. He justifies himself to satisfy his desires. And God gives him an opportunity to repent. He doesn't do it the first time. He does it later. But the consequences he must face. That's one kind of world we can inhabit. Where we listen to God. We can choose not to obey. And move on and deal with however God deals with us. God says there is another way. A better world. A better way to live. He says... I delight more in your obedience than in your, in your sacrifices. I delight more in your obedience than anything you can do for me or give me. I see partial obedience as lack of submission. I see disobedience as idolatry. We can choose to inhabit these two, one of these two worlds. And God is calling us lovingly, gently, and graciously to inhabit the world where we submit to him and willingly will obey him so that he is delighted with us. If his delight is our goal, then we would willingly submit to him and obey him. So he invites us to live in a way that delights him. Our God who made us his children when we were nobodies, deserving nothing but wrath, he has spoken He's calling us to pay attention to what he says and live in a way that delights him. So the question becomes, what might willing obedience look like in the circumstances of our life? Let's say you hear God's voice in the following selection of verses. I'm just going to read a few verses to you. Let's see whether we can catch what God is telling us in these verses. Many things, of course, but 
some themes prominent. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Love is patient, love is kind. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I'm sure you caught the drift of those verses, isn't it? The theme is patience. And that is what God's voice is telling us. And I've just taken one of the many facets of the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. The question then becomes, how do we delight Him in obedience? Because that's what He wants, right? He wants our willing submission and obedience. Let's take the area of patience. Let's say you leave church, and within the next 48 hours, you have situations where you don't get what you want. Things don't work out just the way you want. People around you didn't do exactly what you expected them to do. If you feel impatience bubbling up, ask yourself this question. How will I delight God? How am I going to delight God? Because God has told us, delighting is a matter of willing obedience. How will I delight God? Now, we at By City Fellowship are a people who are radically focused on Jesus. Jesus showed us the way, how to live in a way that delights God. Jesus really did, didn't he? In fact, if Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. We're radically focused on Jesus. Jesus showed us the way. It's humbling himself in obedience to God. Humbling ourselves in submission to God. Obedience is submission to God. That is what Jesus did. And that, therefore, is our model as well. So for this week, let me encourage us to do the following. A very concrete step. Practice patience when you don't have your way. Practice patience when you don't have your way. We want to delight God with our obedience. God is patient with us. He has enormous amount of patience with us. We can be patient with others. Practice patience with your spouse. Practice patience with your children. Practice patience with your parents. Practice patience with your in-laws. Practice patience with colleagues at work. Practice patience with your boss. Practice patience with fellow church members. Practice patience 
in all of our circumstances in the daily nitty-gritty of our lives. Not patience when it is convenient, but patience always. Not obedience and submission when it's convenient, but obedience always. God is calling us to represent Him. He is patient with us. Therefore, we are patient with others. Practice patience because God delights, God delights in our willing obedience more than anything we can do for Him or give Him. Or any sacrifice we can make for Him. God delights in our willing obedience, which is a sign of our submission to Him. This passage is given to us as instruction so that we, through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might live with hope. So, let us not be like Saul. Let us be the people that God is delighted with, that God is really delighted with, because we hear His voice and we willingly follow Him in obedience in our normal everyday lives. Let's delight Him with our lives. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that sustains us, uh, for your word that encourages us so that we might live with hope. And thank you for uh, the account of Saul and Samuel that you've shown us. And in so doing, you have revealed to us what delights you and what does not. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us Give us all what we need to live lives that delight you, lives that are fully submitted to you and want to willingly, voluntarily, and lovingly obey you so that you are delighted with our lives as we represent you well wherever you call us. To that and help us, Lord, we desperately need your help as we ask this in Jesus' name.